Well, we've begun this series this past week on, on the, the book of John, or not, not John, the book of First John. It was written by the same guy who wrote the book of John, the Apostle John, the, one of the youngest of the apostles and, and really the only apostle who actually lived out his life, we believe, from church tradition, tradition up without having been executed. Now, he was exiled in, on an island called Patmos, but, but we believe that he lived out his life. And last week, we started talking about this book and this letter that he wrote, and we, we considered the what of what he was writing and the why for which he was writing, giving us the goal and the purpose for his writing and, and really what he was trying to do. The, this congregation or the congregations to which he wrote, they were, they were growing in grace. They had received the gospel good news, but, but some false teachers had kind of worked their way in. And I don't know, I don't remember if I, I mentioned it, but there was this teaching, this kind of, it, 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 we would call it a proto-Gnosticism. Proto meaning kind of baby form, not quite fully formed. Gnosticism, which comes from the, the Greek word gnosis for knowledge. And the idea was that there was some secret knowledge that we could a- attain to, some secret knowledge that would really kind of bring us into the inner circle of, of, of spirituality, and so there were these ideas that were being presented to these congregations that, you know what, Jesus is great, that's fine, that's all well and good, but maybe there's a secret knowledge that if we really tap into that, then we'll get the keys to, to true spirituality. And so John is beginning to address this issue with his, with, uh, his congregations. Now you might say to yourself, well, what does that have to do with us? We don't, we don't necessarily struggle with ideas of of uh, a secret knowledge or a special knowledge, but that, I would argue that that's not true. I think in every age, in our age included, there are certain things that try to, at like barnacles, attach themselves to the Christian church and, and, and begin to say, well, yes, believe in Jesus, but also, you know, let's worship this particular way, and, and this is the right way to do things. Or, or yes, we believe in worship, but, but we're going to f- focus on this specific doctrine, and this is exactly how we're going to do things, and, and we begin to create our own set of, of inner circle rules. And we're going to see here that, that John's going to address that pretty directly with the hope that we would cling to the gospel. And in this particular case, we're going to see him speak to us about the fact that God is the God of, of revelation, that he's, and I'm not talking about the book of revelation, but he's the God who reveals himself. John is going to tell us about how, how he's the God of light, that he gives us, it's a picture of, of illumination, that there's no place where there's, there's secrecy, there's no place where there's this secret hidden reality, but no, God has revealed himself as light and we can know him truly through his revelation in Jesus Christ. So we're going to read out of 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 10. If you could stand with me, if you're online, I'd invite you to stand as well. 1 John Chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father, I I pray that you would open our eyes to see the fact that you are light, that you have revealed yourself sufficiently through the person and work of Jesus Christ and through your prophets of old. And God, I pray that we would receive and embrace the words that you've given us in your word as all that we need in order to have fellowship with you and true fellowship with one another. And God, I pray that our confession and our actions would be consistent that we would walk in ever-increasing integrity as it relates to how we, we claim to live and how we actually live. And God, I pray that for, for us, as we, as we consider the areas of disconnection, the places where our, our, our claimed faith and our reality are in opposition, Lord, that you would bring conviction, that you would bring forgiveness, that you would bring cleansing. Lord, for the, the wounded conscience, for the sinner who, who struggles, Lord, that you would bring vitality, spiritual strength to obey in order that we could walk in integrity before you. God, I pray this for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So in this section, what we, what we see is that John gives us this, this really glorious, almost literally glorious reality, and then he, he addresses some subsequent claims that, that we, we probably can assume are coming from these false teachers. He, he starts out with a, a, a base, a grounding statement, a statement that, that he's going to build everything else on. And from there, he's going to address three specific claims that we could probably assume are coming from these false teachers, right? The, the, the foundational claim is God is light. Now, what we're not saying is light is God. We're not, we're not worshiping creation, but we're saying there's, a, there's something about light that reveals the nature and character of God, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. And in, no pun intended, but in light of that fact... We're going to look at the claim of fellowship with God, what, what real fellowship with God looks like. We're going to look at the claim of no indwelling sin, that, that you can live life and not have sin in you. And then we're going to look at the claim that, that you can live life and not practice any sin. And now, don't misunderstand me. We certainly want to live lives avoiding sin, repenting of sin, Uh, not disobeying God, living in obedience to what he has called us to do. But what we we don't want to do is to claim that one, we have no sin, and two, that that we don't ever sin. So let's look at the word together. Verse five says this, this is the message that we heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, I want to draw attention to the fact that when, when John puts this in front of us, he doesn't say, this is my opinion, 
Guys, I've been around for a long time. You really need to listen to what I have to say. No, he says, this is the received message. And if you listen to the other writers of the New Testament, even the prophets of the Old Testament, they received revelation from God. They didn't make this up. This wasn't just a, hey, you know what? I think this would be a folksy, good way of living. This is not a common sense expression. This is him saying, I saw and heard some things, and I'm just, I'm repeating back to you what I saw and heard. If we go back to the first few verses, he talks about what? That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen, which we've looked upon, and which our hands have touched, right? This is, this is revelation that was given to him. And when I say the word revelation, I don't want you to think just kind of a, that's a spiritual word. That just means that God has revealed what otherwise would have been uh, hidden to us. You know, I, I love reading fiction books, and, and the reality is when you read fiction, the characters in the story are completely unaware of the author, right? The story has been written, and they're living in a world that's been constructed, and they have no ability to look out of that story and be aware, be aware of the author, unless that author writes himself into that story, unless he reveals himself. And while you and I live much more real, three-dimensional, uh, in full-color lives, we still are limited by the fact that we are created beings who only receive what God gives us when it comes to revelation. And God tells us in his word that he's revealed himself both in creation, so he's written himself into the story, and he literally steps in and interrupts creation to speak to us. Right? He spoke to, to Abraham. He came and he had this interaction with Abraham. He spoke to, to Isaac and to Jacob, and then he speaks to Moses. He speaks to the prophets, and here he speaks to John, and he says, and John says, this is the message we have heard from him, and we proclaim it to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And, and he, he's trying to put this as, as straightforward and as, as directly as he can. In the Greek, it's, there's a double negative. Now, in English, you know, if you do a double negative, then, you know, if you say there isn't no light, then you're saying there's light. But in the Greek, you, you can say there isn't not any. And, and, and basically he's saying that not just there's, there's no darkness in him, but there isn't not any darkness in him. He's saying it emphatically that God is light. And, and when we look at what light represents in scripture, when we think about what that means, really two things come to mind. One, he's the light of revelation. And, and we just talked about that a little bit. That God reveals himself that he makes himself known. And when we think about Jesus Christ, he, he is the ultimate expression, making himself known, beam of light of God. And in fact, if we were to go back to the gospel of John in the first chapter, you don't have to go there now, but it's John chapter one, verses four and five. Uh, John, the writer, says this. In him, talking about Jesus, was life, and the life was what? The light of men. It revealed life to men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's boss mode. Thanks, guys. Look at that. 
Give it up for the AV team, seriously. Oftentimes, when things go wrong, everyone shifts their heads back. But let's do it when things go right. So, verses 4 and 5, the light shines in the darkness. Um, He's the light of revelation of truth. In, In John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, He's not only the light of revelation of, of, him, of allowing us to know him, but he's the light of righteousness. And it says it in chapter 12, verses uh, 35 through 36. Sorry, I'm losing my place here. Um, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you, talking about himself for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. And what we see here is he's not just saying there's a light that allows us to see something, but there's a light that allows us to live a particular way, to walk in a particular manner. We need to walk in a manner that that coincides with the kind of righteousness that is who, who God is. It's intrinsic to who he is. So in 1 John, when, when John says God is light, he's not just saying something, God's a, he's a bright and shining person. No, he's saying something about the nature and the character of God. In the same way that when, when he says God is love, he's some, saying something about the nature and the character of who God is. He is Light. He reveals himself to us. He reveals reality. He is the measure, the standard by which everything else is measured or understood. We don't get to decide what what reality looks like apart from what God says reality looks like. When he reveals something in here, we don't get to decide what what, uh, marriage looks like because, because God has given us a picture of what marriage looks like. He's revealed it to us. We don't get to decide what what right and wrong are. They're not, they're not subjective. You know, what's, what's wrong for you is wrong for me. What's right for you is right for me. Because the standard of right and wrong is given to us by whom? The God of light. And this is, this is something that, that, that bucks against everything that, that we have in the world. Because the world wants to say that I am the light. You are the light. We are the light. But, but the word says that God is the light. In him, there is no darkness. God is the light. And in light of, (laughs) I should stop saying that. Uh, Because of this, he addresses it, three claims that that the, likely these false teachers were making. The first claim was that they had fellowship with God. They could be connected with God apart from walking in a manner that was righteous and and had integrity. Look at verse six with me. If we say, He's saying that in a, in a generous, gracious way. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and we, we learned last week what fellowship looks like, it's mutual uh, uh, solidarity, partnership, agreement. If we say that we are in agreement with God and yet we, we walk in darkness... Now, if walking in light is walking 
uh, in consistency with the, the, the message that God has given us, the information that God has given us, the, the rules and commands that God has given us, then walking in darkness is, is ignoring those things, living as though those things weren't a reality. It's disobedience. So he says, if we say that we have fellowship with this God who, who has said live this way, and yet we are walking and living in darkness, we lie. We lie, and not only that, we do not practice the truth. How interesting is it that, that John calls us to not just believe the truth, but to practice the truth? And this is not, that's not, that's not a surprise in any other area of life, right? You, you, we know that cars are heavy and that we are not as strong as cars, so we don't stand in the middle of Route 7 when there are cars going by. Because the truth is, we will die. So to walk in that truth is to wait until the, the crossing light is on or to not walk across the street. There are certain things that we do because we know something to be true. We embrace that truth and it results in, in a way of living. It results in, in certain behaviors. Uh, I remember... My kids growing up, and, and, and do, they do these things where, I don't know, kids just, they know. And so I remember one of my kids, there was an outlet, and he kind of crawls over, and, but he was, you know, he's such a sweet guy. Uh, and he looked up, and he said, huh? And I was like, no, buddy, don't do that. Said, okay. <laughs> and, and he was walking in the truth that I had given him, that, hey, buddy, that's not for you to touch. But so much of life and so much of our culture says, you know what, that's fun to touch. Touch it. You won't, I dare you. You don't have to live in light. These, these, these teachers were saying, you know what, you can have connection with God. You can have fellowship with God. You can have relationship with God without having to walk in the light. There's a secret way of living. There's a secret way of connecting with God. How, how much does that sound like our world? There's a secret way of... Oh, the Christian church, why do, you have to be, why do you have to be so focused on one way to God? There are so many different religions. Certainly, they all have some possible ways to God. And God would say, no. There's one, there's one way. I think, I think it's in Hebrews that says there was, there's one mediator. I mean, it says it several other places, but... We can't just walk in light. And he gives a contrary statement in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. It's interesting because, you know, if I had been writing this, I would have said, you know, if, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we walk in obedience to his word, if we obey his commands, if we do what we've been told to do, and we live how we've been told to live, and we love how we've been told to love, then we would have fellowship, and I would say, with God. Because he just was talking about fellowship with God. But John goes further because our fellowship with God is reflected in our right fellowship with one another. How neat was it that, that Elder J.C. took a moment to talk about offering, to talk about reconciliation with brothers and sisters in Christ? And part of the point that I think he was trying to make is, your sacrifice doesn't mean anything if you're not being consistent if you say, I love you, God, but you say, I hate my brother, how can you love a God you've never seen if you can't even love the person in front of you? 
He says, if we're going to walk in light, then we need to have fellowship with not just God, but fellowship with God that leads us to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he gives us his promise, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood covers our sin. It protects us from the consequences of sin. There's provision when, when we, we fall out of line and we, we step into the darkness. There's provision. He goes on. Let's keep going. He, he goes on to address another concern. If we say we have no sin... Right? He just got done saying, there's provision for your sin. And, and he almost, he almost uh, thinks through what, what his, his opponents would argue. Hey, and if you, you claim to have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Right? They were, they were, it's very likely they were uh, arguing that there's no indwelling original sin. That, that we don't have that in our lives, right? That's why it's sin in the singular. He's going to talk about sins in the plural in a moment. How, how much is that our, our world? You know, watch, watch any feel-good movie, and, and at the core, you'll see this idea, just tap into your heart's desires because at your core, you're a great person. At your core, you, you're good. Listen to your heart, Right? No, the Bible says don't listen to your heart because it's deceitful above all things. And I love your family. And I say that as someone whose heart apart from God is deceitful. So deceitful that it tricks ourselves. We, we talk ourselves into thinking I'm good and I'm breaking these rules. But really it's for a good reason because I need these things. This is, this is right up our alley because the world and the people around us and our own sin wants to tell us, you know what, at your core, you're a good person. You know, you didn't mean to cuss that person out. You didn't mean to get angry. You didn't mean to go, you know, go to that place or do that thing. And, and what the Bible would say is, and family, I say this because if we aren't faithful and honest about the problem, we will never embrace the solution. The, the Bible would say is, you did mean to. You did mean to. Those words that you said, that unforgiveness that bubbled up and expressed itself in those, those things, that thing that you did, you did mean to. Now, he has just said that there's provision for our sin. So we're not left hopeless, we're not left condemned, but we can't live life and ignore the problem. The Christian life is not an invitation to just uh, have this Pollyanna, you know, we're, we're skipping through life and there are no problems in the world and there are no problems in my life and, and Jesus forgave me for all my sins and, there's, and everything's okay and nothing's wrong. Talk to anyone in this room or talk to your parents, talk to anyone who's lived longer than 20 years and you'll see that like you can be saved and still have a lot of problems. You can be, you can be saved and still mess up. Just take, take a survey of the, the saints in the Bible. David was a murderer and adulterer. Moses murdered. Abraham did some crazy stuff. P Peter... <laughs> 
I, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going fo- to follow you. He chops off a guy's ear, and he, he, then he disowns God, Jesus. Right? On the same night that he's, he, he's you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go hard for, for God, he chops off a guy's ear after Jesus was like, seriously, don't do that. And then, you know, claiming to be so, so faithful to God, he then disowns him. Right? He just goes wrong both ways. And yet God uses him because there's, there's hope. There's hope. But, but, but you have to begin with the problem. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He goes on and he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, The solution to our sin is confession and repentance. It's not to ignore it and it's not to pretend like it isn't there. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Family, the good news is that God offers forgiveness. And, and I think here he's, he's speaking of a lifestyle of confession and repentance. Certainly when you get saved, when we, the, the, the gospel message is that when you put your faith in Christ... The moment that you realize that you're a sinner, that you've disobeyed God's rules, that, that because of that there is a, a, um, a punishment that's owed to you, that, that you are in trouble in, in kind of a cosmic sense, when you put your trust in Jesus who, who bore your punishment on the cross for your sins and you believe that he is the Lord of your life, in that moment, you're saved. In that moment, you're forgiven. And yet, at the same time, the Bible speaks of salvation as something that happens progressively. And what, I'm, what the Bible means when it talks about that is that that, that salvation, that one-time moment, that justification where God says, you know what, I'm going to give you a, a record of righteousness. I'm going to call you righteous. It now has to be worked out into our life and our behavior in the way we do things. God begins to dismantle the idolatry in our souls. And so we see here that he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to to forgive us our sins. So in the first case, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And in our progressive life, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And And he says not just that he's faithful, but he's faithful and just. God is faithful in the sense that he is he is committed to doing what he said he will do. And he says, for whoever would, would put their trust in him, he will save them. They'll have eternal life. But not only is he faithful, he's also just. You know, it would not be a good thing if God was the kind of God who just said, you know what? Don't worry about it. Right? He wants us, to, we, we want him to say, don't worry about it, about our sins. But when someone sins against us, we don't want God to just, oh, don't worry about it, Eddie. It's not that big of a deal. You know, that person did that thing to you. Don't, let's just, let's just be cool. Let's be cool. Mercy, 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 mercy. The problem with that is that we have an underlying understanding that justice needs to be met. Justice 
that there is wrong and there is right and there is punishment and there is retribution for bad behavior. We don't want retribution for our bad behavior, but we recognize that the world needs retribution for its bad behavior. Now, God being a God of mercy and justice, he's not a God who can just say, you know what, I'm just going to let that go. But what he can do is say, because Jesus was on the cross and bore your sin, I'm going to forgive you. I'm not letting it go because I'm just a loosey-goosey God. I'm letting it go because Jesus agreed to die on your behalf. He's paid that price for you. And because of that, he can say that he's faithful and just. He's just. God is light. Because of that, we cannot just have fellowship with him without following him. We can't ignore our sin. And then finally, we can't pretend like we don't sin every day. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So he goes from saying, if we say we have no sin, to saying, if we say that we have not sinned. So it's possible that these, these teachers were not just saying, I, I have no sin in me, but, but I don't even sin on a daily basis. And they were rewriting the, the rule book. You know, my dad told me one thing that, that has stuck with me. It was one of the, you know, sometimes hopefully your, your parents will say things and you're like, that's really smart. Um, and, and he basically said that when confronted with our disobedience, we can either acknowledge it or try to rewrite what disobedience is. Right? Kids, there are a lot of kids here. When your parents tell you to do something, you have two options. You can either obey or try to live life like they didn't say something, which immediately makes you embrace a lie. And I mean, parents, adults, I mean, this, this, we're in the same boat. If we say we have not sinned, if we try to rewrite the, the rule book, if we try to say, well, you know what, there are extenuating circumstances, so I get grandfathered in. We don't just, we don't just lie in that moment. We call into question the righteousness of God himself. This, this was the pride and the arrogance of these people, and this is our pride and arrogance that we would be so willing to say, I am a good person, I am a, I'm a good individual, that I would say, I'm so good that, God, you're wrong. You're a liar. I didn't do that. I'm not that kind of person. That's the deceitfulness of sin. Like, we, th we think it's just a little white lie. I mean, I didn't really do that thing. It was kind of like, well, the... What it was, was. What really, but in that moment, our heart is standing in opposition to God and saying, you're a liar. That, that's the deceitfulness of sin. And he says, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. Now, because this is such a <laughs> dark ending, I'm gonna keep reading. Pastor, Pastor Jermaine's going to preach on the next section, and these two sections are tight, tightly connected. I'm not going to expound on it a whole bunch, but I want us to hear the, the promise of, of hope. He says in chapter 2, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. And he's refle reflecting on, on what's happened. I'm, I'm writing these things so that you wouldn't sin. But if anyone does sin, because it's possible and because we have indwelling sin, 
We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Family, we have an advocate. And the reality is God is light. And he invites us to live in a manner that's consistent with the claims that we make with our words. And I'm concerned for some of us because I think some of you come to church and you think that that's the definition of being a Christian. That the secret to the Christian life is to just being at church on Sunday. I'm so thankful that you're here. It's a good thing to be here on Sunday. But that's not the measure of fellowship with God. The measure of fellowship with God is, is living your whole life in consistency with the things that you claim. If you say that Jesus is my Lord, which you have to say if he's your Savior. You can't have one without the other. Love and marriage. You can't have one without the other. Lord and Savior. You can't have one without the other. If you claim that he's the one who saved you, if you're trying to avoid hell and get into heaven, you can't do that without inviting Jesus in as your Lord. And he says that God is light, he is Lord, and he demands certain things of us. He demands that we live in this way of integrity. Family, what are the areas where, where there's some cognitive dissonance, where there's some disconnection between the things that you say and the things that you do? Let, let's not do what the, the false teachers did and say, oh, there aren't any areas. I'm consistent across the board. Can I just give you from this text permission to confess and admit that you have problems? <laughs> I have problems. Now, we're on an upward trajectory in Christ, so the problems I have now, by the grace of God, are not the same problems I had 10 years ago. But we are works in progress, and, and the call and the solution is not to say, you know what, I don't have any problems. I'm not a sinner anymore. Trusted in Jesus at the age of seven, walked down the aisle, pretty great guy now. Talk to my wife. She loves me. Not because I'm a pretty great guy. Pro tip though, guitar helps. Um, young men. Um, we're on an upward trajectory and the solution to our problems is to confess our sin, to recognize that the God who is light is the God who calls us to live in the same way that we claim to live with our words. And there is hope because we have an advocate. We have a mediator. We have Jesus Christ who did live a perfect life that you and I should have lived, who did die on the cross, defeating Satan's sin and death, and who rose again, offering eternal life to anyone who would trust in him, anyone who would put their faith and trust in him. That's, that's the hope to which we have been called, and that's the life to which we've been called. What have I said today? God is light. He's the light of revelation. He's revealed himself to us. He's told us who he is, and he's the, he's the light of righteousness. He's shown us how right he is and how we ought to live in a right manner as well. And in light of that fact, let's live and walk and be in the light. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you express that love through your son, Jesus Christ, that you express that love through your gracious revelation in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that you offer real relationship with us. 
And when we fail, God, you offer forgiveness. You are faithful and just to forgive us as we trust in you and as we confess our sin. Family, I would just, I would just invite you as the music's playing, it sets the mood, whatever. Take, take this moment, and, and I know that for some of you, there are some things that God has pricked your heart about that you need to confess. And I would, I would challenge you not to wait until you're tired because you just ate a whole mess of pasta from the Olive Garden after lunch to do this. I, I want you to do business with God right now. And I, and I want everyone else to not be looking around to see who's doing business with God. Take this moment and recognize, oh, you know what, Holy Spirit? This is an area where I need to confess that I, I did this, it was wrong, or I didn't do this, it was wrong. I'm not right. But I thank you that, Jesus, you died for my sins, this one included, and you offer me eternal life and righteousness, and I receive it. That's what that prayer looks like. And then it's letting it go and beginning anew, walking in the light, trying once again to not do the thing or to do the thing, to walk in obedience with God. So we're just gonna take 30 seconds. We're not gonna talk. And if, and if that's not you, you just pray and thank God for, for his faithfulness to you in such a way that righteousness is, is rising up in your life. family, God loves you. Friends and guests, God loves you. He's shown his love through his son, Jesus Christ, and he offers forgiveness for sin. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't, he doesn't set it aside or pretend like it didn't happen, but he does address it. I would invite you to do what we just did as much as is necessary every day. Say, God, here's my life. Here's what I've done. Help me to walk in faithfulness and greater obedience every day. God, I pray that for us all. Help us to walk in faithfulness and greater obedience every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you, family.